Amen. Amen. Man, let's just give a quick, a quick hand clap of praise just for the worship today. I mean, just praise God. Said mics be a little hot. You gotta forgive me. I, I'm I'm feeling a little some type of way because it's October and I still got a sweat rag. And I'm like, yo, this is hoodie season. This is supposed to be hoodie season. I should be coming up here with a hoodie and some joggers, and I'd, I'd be in hog heaven at that time. But instead of being in hog heaven, I'm sweating like one. So pray for your mans as I'm trying to deliver the message. Uh, as we, before we dig into the text and stuff, I know we're supposed to give this week a Kanye reference because of a new album that just came out. I'm not going to do that to y'all. Um, but what I would suggest is that you keep him in prayer, as with all the saints. So I'm just going to leave it at that. Praise God. Let's keep it moving. Let's, we're, we're, we're in our series. We're continuing our series of Jesus more than we hoped. And um, we are getting to the point in the text where the, the story starts to hit the, the climax, the, the crescendo, the, the turning point that ultimately will change human history forever. And so as we dig into the text, I want to read uh, Mark chapter 14, and we're just going to read for the time being verses 53 through 72. If you don't have a Bible, can you just lift your hand? We're going to pass out one to you if you don't have one um, to take home. because you do have a gift to you, uh, we want to make sure that you have the living word. If, now, if you do have one and just happen to forget it, leave it here, please, so we can bless someone else with it. So um, we just want to do that and, and hand that out to you. But if we're reading, we're reading Mark chapter uh, 14, starting at verse 53. And they led Jesus away to the high priests, and all the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes assembled. Peter followed him at a distance right into the high priest's courtyard. He was sitting with the servants, warming himself by the fire. The chief priests in the whole Sanhedrin were looking for a testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they could not find any. For many were giving false testimony against him, and the testimonies did not agree. Some stood up and gave false testimony against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days I will build another one not made by hands. Yet their testimony did not agree even on this. Then the high priest stood up before them all and questioned Jesus. Don't you have the answer to what these men are testifying against you? But he kept silent and did not answer. Again, the high priest questioned him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his robe and said, why do we still need witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What is your decision? They all condemned him as deserving death. Some, then some began to spit on him, to blindfold him, and to beat him, saying, prophesy. The temple servants also took him and slapped him. While Peter was in the courtyard below, one of the chief priest's maidservants came. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with Jesus, the man from Nazareth. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about. Then he went, about, went out to the entryway and the roaster, uh, roast, rooster crowed. Excuse me. When the maidservant saw him again, she began to tell those standing nearby, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing there said to, to Peter again, you certainly 
are one of them, since you, you're also a Galilean. Then he started to curse and swear, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately, a rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered when Jesus had spoken the word to him. Therefore, the rooster crow, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Now, before we dig into this, I, I want us to think about this, and, and I'm give my life as an example. So I'm a native of the Washington, D.C. area, the DMV, okay? And, and, and one thing about the DMV, besides there being the, the nation's capital and you got professional sports teams, you see a city that is filled with museums, monuments, and memorials. And out of all those memorials there, there's, you know, there's, you got all these different types of memorials, and they all stand out, but there's one in particular that... I see that, that it struck a particular chord with me, and it's typically not the ones we think about when you think about D.C., but for me, it was the Korean War Memorial. And the reason why is because in the granite, there is a phrase that is etched that says, freedom isn't free. But in, when you look at the scope of redemptive history, when you look at the scope of Jesus' work, freedom is free. Not by the, when I mean by freedom being free, I mean the fact that we cannot earn this freedom. But the thing that we have to realize that freedom may be free, but it isn't cheap. Here we are beginning to see what that cost looks like. What we see here is Mark pointing to Jesus as the suffering servant. And the question that we have to ask ourselves and the question that we have to answer in light of this text is how do we respond to Jesus as the suffering servant? But not only that, we also see this picture of a witness, a certain kind of witness, and how to live as a witness. So if I were to title this, this message, I, I would kind of go back to my old church roots. Can I get a witness? Some of y'all was already feeling me. Can I get a witness? Before we get into the, what's happening in Mark 14, we have to understand chapter 13. Because chapter 13, uh, as we, were, we talked about before, Jesus was war giving a warning that was more than the end times. It was more than an end times prophecy, but he was also giving a warning about what was coming in the near future. It was about what will happen when Jesus is arrested and more importantly, how his disciples should respond. So in the immediate, Jesus is giving a warning and a call to Jesus warning, but, but we see the reality of it in Mark 14. We see Jesus warning before in, in the text, uh, or in chapter 14, I'm sorry, before we get to this point, we see Jesus warning of his betrayal at the Passover. We see Jesus predicting Peter's betray, uh, denial. We see his disciples sleeping when Jesus is praying in distress. We see Jesus being betrayed by Judas. But we also see the first picture of the first witness, and that is Jesus being the faithful witness. You see, when he was arrested, I, you know, I, I love courtroom dramas because you got all the suspense, you got all of the, all of the, the drama in the courtroom, and, and, and you see here that Jesus is arrested, he's on trial, and, and actually if you look at the four Gospels, what you will see is that Jesus in a matter of hours endured six trials. He endured three uh, ecclesiastical trials or the trials with the Jewish religious authorities, or, and he endured three civil trials, uh, two with Pilate and one with Herod. Now, Mark does not go into all these details of each trials because what he wants to drive the point is, he wants to drive the point that Jesus is the suffering servant. And so, and so when you look at this, you got to look at this, that Jesus was going into a trial that was already set up. 
that it was rigged. Some places we would call that a kangaroo court. That you know what's going to happen before it even happens. It doesn't matter if the evidence is there or not, that we are already making the decision to convict. They already decided on the death of Jesus, but they had to create a legal charge to do it. So they were already setting the steam that, you know what, we got to find a charge that makes it worthwhile to say that Jesus deserves death. And so they set up uh, a, a group of, of witnesses and, and people that are, are going to say that Jesus did this and that Jesus did that. They had to secure the conviction. But, but Jesus, even being set up and accused lie after lie, their testimonies cannot even agree. So could you imagine that witnesses are coming to court and court, and they're saying, well, Jesus did this, and Jesus did that, and you see that there's contradiction. Most of the times people will be like, you know what? The evidence does not present itself to convict. But yet there's a, a deeper purpose for what Jesus has to go through. We'll explain that a little bit later. But Mark makes it clear that the Sanhedrin was looking for a testimony to put Jesus to death. And in this false testimony, these people were claiming firsthand experience. Like, I was there. That I was there and I saw it, I heard it. But even here, the charges can't be substantiated. But the thing is, is that even in the intensity of the moment and the severity of the charges, the silence of Christ as the faithful witness points to a prophetic sign. He points back to Isaiah 53 and 7, where the text says, Isaiah says, he was oppressed and afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, like a sheep silent before a shearers, he did not open his mouth. And on top of that, we also see Jesus being the resurrected and glorified Jesus being called the faithful witness in Revelation chapter 1 verse 5. That we see in the Old Testament and at the end of the story, the connection that Jesus is who he says he is as the suffering servant and as the faithful witness. That Jesus is legit. That Jesus is a G. But not only that, Jesus also affirms his messianic identity. See, this is one of the few times you got to understand be the cape. Most of the time, Jesus is like, shh, don't tell him yet. Time ain't come. Like, like you know, you want to be the cape crusade. You know, we see movies, and, and when, I'm, I'm big into Marvel comics. I'm probably going to give a couple Marvel comic references. But when you see superheroes, they're like, I got a secret identity. It ain't time for things to be revealed. But Jesus, at this point, Mark was in, and throughout Mark, Jesus was like, don't tell nobody. I just healed. Don't tell nobody. The time ain't come. But now Jesus points out that the time has come, and the time is now. And so Jesus lets out and actually affirms his messianic idea. The high priest was calling him out, are you this guy? Are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? And Jesus says, I am. See, by asking Jesus, here's the, question, the quick uh, key part. By asking Jesus if he is the son of the blessed one, what he is, the, the, that term, the blessed one, was used out of respect for the name of God. That they, could not, they did not want to say the name of God. So they referred to God being blessed to reveal his uniqueness and his attributes. So he's, the question in itself is saying, are you who we think you are or who you claim to be? And he's like, yes. One commentary says it like this, and this is kind of, kind of a, when, like, when you read the scriptures, you read Jesus. And when you read Jesus, I, like I said, like, man, Jesus got all the cool lines. I mean, it's, <laughs> right? He should. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So we see it. But one commentator said, one commentator said like this, 
Numerous times in Mark's gospel, Jesus asked those who followed him and those he healed to be silent concerning his identity. The time for the messianic secret meaning here has now come to an end. Called under divine oath to bear witness to his true identity, he directly and openly affirms, I am. He identifies with Daniel's apocalyptic son of man. In identifying himself as the Messiah and God's son, today what he is saying is, today I stand before you, but there is a day coming when you will stand before me in judgment. A great reversal is coming. So in other words, he's telling the religious leaders at that point, you judge me now. But there will come a point in time when I'm going to stand as the righteous judge and the reversal is taking place. That as the king of glory and as the righteous judge, we're going to see the great flip of the reversal. So when his, his affirmation or his, surpasses any idea or conception of what the Messiah is in human eyes, they were looking for a political ruler to break the bonds of political shackles. And Jesus is coming saying, I am so much more. But they're like, man, he blaspheming. Jesus was not blaspheming. He was calling it like it is. If you were a baseball fan or watching baseball, the only reason, you know, I'm, I like baseball. I'm, I'm even more jacked because, you know, the, the, the Nats are in the World Series, which is funny because my parents moved from D.C. to Houston where my brother, I said, who are you cheering for? He said, the Astros. I said, nah. I mean, whatever. But the thing is, is that as a right judge, you've got to call balls and strikes. You've got to call it the right way. And what Jesus is saying by saying, I am, and referring to himself as the son of man, he is calling it like it is. Amen. So how did the high priest respond? Well, first of all, he ripped it. He rips his his, his, his garments, and he's like, how dare he blasphemy? And now they're saying, we don't need any more witnesses. Let's put him to death. But see, here's the thing, though, is that, that even in Mr. False Testament, they don't have the legal authority to do it. They don't have the legal authority to do it. They have to trum up some more charges so that they can put him on the trial because they did not have the authority to put anybody to death. Rome did. So what we see here in this section is either Jesus is the Messiah Either he is the Messiah and the Son of God, or he was a liar and a blasphemer. We. How will we? But the story gets worse. Because now you see the picture of a faithful witness, but there's another witness. And you see some of this in the, in the previous passage, but I want to I zero on one guy. And this is a guy who's a false witness, and this is my man Peter. That we have a false witness. See, Peter's that one friend that talked trash. Like, yo, I got you, man. If it go down, I'm with you, boss. I'm with you, bro. Matter of fact, I joke around. I think, I think Peter was a part of what I like to call the blade ministry. He that friend that going to pack heat wherever you at. How do we know in John, we, we hear the narrative, we hear the story of John when he tells Jesus, hey, I'm going to ride with you to the death. Ain't nobody going to take you. And then when they come to arrest Jesus, he takes his sword and cuts the ear of the, uh, of the uh, high priest's servant, and Jesus puts it back on. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. If I just arrested Jesus, right, in my role in this situation, maybe this guy is who he says that he is. Because I ain't never seen nothing like that before. But Peter is that trash-talking friend. As a matter of fact, it's kind of funny because 
Because where I come from, there's a saying that you're selling wolf tickets. That you talk a lot of trash, that you sound like a big bad wolf, but you ain't a big bad wolf. You are selling wolf tickets. Peter was that guy. And we see that Mark is communicating that while this is taking place, while Jesus is on trial, Mark, uh, Peter is going through this interrogation. And what you see is really a contrast of interrogations. You see Jesus and you see Peter. And see, the thing is, you see the trial of Jesus, you see the trial of Peter, but here's the thing. Peter was talking really bold when things were cool. But when things got real, Peter got real. So, so what happens is, first part, he says Peter followed him from a distance, which is interesting, because you don't hear any more, uh, any other discourse about the other believers falling from a distance, but you see Peter. He followed too close. I want to ride with you, but I can't ride too close. But then we're under tremendous pressure, while Jesus remains faithful to the truth, Peter buckles under the slightest and gentlest of pressure and lies in order to save himself. How do we know that? How does Peter deny Jesus? The accusation was that he was with Jesus, but his reply is, I don't know what you're talking about. They say he was one of them, but his reply is, I don't belong to him. The accusation was, he is certainly one of him. And here's the interesting part, that his Galilean accent began to give him away. His reply is, I don't know the man. See, it's interesting that, that they mentioned that in there because there was also a cultural idea that, you know, people from Galilee, like, they don't hang out over here. And so for a lot of us, you know, I, I, because I grew up military, I got that kind of voice that I'm not from anywhere. And, and I know even in, like, a lot of my, my brothers and sisters that are from Charleston that have the ability to blend voices. But when things get real, you're going to hear the accent. Everywhere I ever gone, even though people I may have lived for a certain time, when I open my mouth, people are like, you ain't from around here. But that's how people were with Peter. When Peter started to open his mouth, especially when he got real, the pressure got real, his accent came out, his accent gave him away, he lied, I don't know the man. But how do we deny him? Do we say, I don't know what you're talking about? Do we say, I don't know the man? Do we say, I don't belong to him? When the pressure gets real, will we be faithful or will we be false? But here's the key. What happened when Peter remembered? What happens when we remember? Does our remembrance of who Jesus is bring us to repentance? Or do we stay in that state of despair? But as we transition now to my last point, we see here in Mark chapter 15, we're about to reach the descent as soon as it was so important because Jesus had been going through all these trials all night long. So imagine the, the, the psychological, the emotional, the physical pressure that he was under. He was sleep deprived. He was tired. He was already beaten. He was already mocked. And it still hadn't gotten worse. It got to the bad point yet. So as soon as it was morning, Having held a meeting with the elders, scribes in the whole Sanhedrin, the chief priests tied Jesus up, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. So Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? He answered him, you say so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. Pilate questioned him again, aren't you going to answer? Look how many things they are accusing you of, but Jesus still did not answer. And so Pilate was amazed. At the festival, Pilate used to release for the people a prisoner whom they requested. 
There was one named Barabbas who was in prison with, who, who, with rebels had committed murder during the rebellion. The crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do for them as was his custom. Pilate answered them, do you want me to release the king of the Jews for you? For he knew it was because of envy that the chief priest had handed him over. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd so, they would release, so that he would release Barabbas to, Barabbas to them instead. Jesus asked them again, then do what you want me to do with the one you call the king of the Jews. Again, they shouted, crucify him. Pilate said to them, why? What has he done wrong? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. And after having Jesus flogged, he handed him over to be crucified. You know, it's interesting because we see the idea of this suffering witness. We see him suffering in two ways. One, he suffered in silence. Pilate had the earthly power to free him. But in silence, Jesus exercised his power in suffering so that the mission could be accomplished. Pilate knew that things were messed up, that if Jesus just simply said that these are lies, that Pilate would have let them go. That if he had just, just, just kept his mouth, if he just said something, like, Jesus, just say something, man. I want to free you, but say something. But Jesus kept silent. Jesus, just say something, because I know these guys are shady, and I got the power to release you. Say something, but he kept silent. Why? Because the mission had to be done. Not my will. Remember, Jesus played in the garden. If it was your will, like, please pass this cup from me. He don't want to suffer, but not my will, but yours be done. He kept silent. But he didn't just suffer in silence. He suffered in substitution. First way we know is that he suffered injustice. I want you to get this, family. In order to satisfy the justice of God on our behalf, he had to suffer the injustice of humanity. In order to satisfy the justice of God on our behalf, God's holiness, his righteousness, and his justice demanded that sin be dealt with. No matter how good we were, that we could not pay that price. How many times we read our work? Our works by themselves do not make us right with God. It is a gift of grace through faith that we can be in right standing. And it took the work of Jesus taking up trumped up charges, taking up uh, uh, lies and accusations for him to fulfill, to go on the cross so that the righteousness of God could be fulfilled, the justice of God could be fulfilled so that we as humanity can have right relationship with him if we believe in him. Jesus had to suffer the, the, the injustice of humanity to satisfy the justice of God. Now notice the change in the charges. Because you got to understand this. The religious leaders wanted to get him for blasphemy, but he knew blasphemy was not going to get him crucified. So they had to put the title as king of the Jews. Why? Because what, he, what they had to say was that Jesus was trying to raise a kingdom, an army, to, in order to go against Caesar. Rome was like, y'all can beef amongst yourselves all you want. But when you come against Caesar, we know how to squash that. So they changed the charges. Sedition. Treason. But for Pilate, we have to understand that Pilate is playing politics. Because he had to deal with these charges of Jesus as king of the Jews. Was another king challenging Caesar? But notice that, that Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent. 
and being justly untreated. How do we know this? In John 18, 38, he found no grounds for charging him. In Matthew 27, 19, his wife warned him due to a terrible dream affirming Jesus' righteousness. Like, you better leave that man alone. Listen to your wife. Just trying to say. But also, in the text that we read, we know that the chief priests only arrest him out of envy. But he had to play the political game, like I said, because, you know, the, the political, the Passover festival was a period that, you know, election coming up, and people riot. there was no insurrection. And then, you know, Pilate, he had power, he had clout, and he had to keep his power, and in order to do that, he had to uh, pacify the masses. And here's how we know the politics, because Barabbas was a murderer. And even worse, he was a, a rebel, a revolutionary. And the reality is Rome had no problem putting him down because he fought against Rome. But in order to send a message to the people, uh, Pilate was trying to change things around with the religious leaders, and he had an opportunity to stick it to the Sanhedrin by releasing Jesus. That if the people wanted to release Jesus, then he would do it, but things did not go according to plan. But here's the thing. It was according to God's plan, even if it wasn't according to his. And we see that the chief priests continue to stir the pot, to mess things up, to, to get the crowd riled up to say, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate sent Jesus to be crucified in order to pacify the crowd. That he would rather, by suffering as a substitute, Barabbas deserved his death according to Rome. That in order to satisfy the justice of God, he, Jesus had to deal and suffer the injustice of humanity. What have we done to add to the list of charges? Because if we committed murder in our hearts, guess what? We're murderers. See, the thing is, is that Jesus, as a suffering witness, suffered in substitution because we deserve the charges of death. But yet he took our place. And we see here that the divine justice was part of even having to deal with human injustice. So Jesus suffered also in agony. That we look at this time, he suffered humiliation. He suffered psychological distress, spiritual distress, physical distress. And I don't know about you, but I don't like distress. Most of us don't. We don't like to suffer. This guy, Sinclair, I was reading this. I was like, yo, this is, this is the power of what Jesus did as, a, as the ultimate witness that we can proclaim that without knowing it, the religious leaders and Pilate and Barabbas were all part of a tapestry of grace which God was weaving for sinners. Their actions spoke louder than their words, louder than the cries of the crowd for Jesus' blood. Jesus was not dying for his own crimes, but for the crimes of others, not for his own sins, but the sins of others because Jesus was sinless. He did not die for himself. He died for us. And so he follows up that point with the question, have you ever seen what they were all too blind to notice? The righteousness of God suffering in our place. And that leads ultimately to my last witness. Not on the screen, it's not on the notes, but the last witness, you. The last witness, me. We are all witnesses, verse. And it's you know, where we sit. We sit having seen the whole story. We see seeing the picture 
of the gospel because we know that the gospel does not end right here. That it does not end where Jesus is about to be flogged. It does not end where Jesus is getting the cat of nine's tails that's got leather at the end with bone and metal. Now check this out. See, the Romans did not have a limit to how many times they would do a scourge. The Jews did up to 39 times with the Romans. It just depends on how they felt that day. If they felt good, they're going to give it to you. If they felt bad, they're going to really give it to you. And so we look at the text right here saying, man, does it get any better? Does the story get better? But I promise you, fam, the story does not end here. See, like I said, we watched uh, Marvel Comic Universe, and I remember the whole Avengers series. And I remember watching uh, Infinity War. And when you got done, you're like, man, we all love a story of a hero. Because there's something inside of humanity that says there's got to be a hero somewhere that's bigger than us, that's better than us, that transcends human experience. And so we create stories in order to point to something greater than us, but it's a longing for our deepest affections. So we see the Marvel Universe because we got to see superheroes. And so we see these guys fighting an alien Thanos. Which I kind of like Thanos, you know, a big dude like, you know, you see, he... He, he messed up the Hulk. Hulk. Hulk smash. Goes up against Thanos. Hulk got smashed. We see all throughout the story, we see what's happening is Thanos is going what's called an infinity gauntlet with stones. He can do a time, matter, all kinds of stuff. And at the end of the story, and it's kind of an interesting picture because even dealing with false gods, because, you know, in the story you had Thor, who was a god who had the ability, and I'm saying that in quotation marks because you see at the end of the story, he really didn't have anything to begin with. And he goes and brings the blade right into the heart of Thanos, and he says, you should have aimed for the head. Fade into oblivion. Now, if you were in the theater when that happened, and you like the movie end just like that, I heard people were mad. There was one who was like, man, I want my money back. They were heated. But here's the thing is what they did not know is that there was an end game. See, we thought he ended at Infinity War, but, Jesus, but, but the writer said there's an end game. See, we think the story ends right here. Peter thought the story ended right here in Infinity War. The disciples thought the story ended here in Infinity War, but there was, in fact, an end game. And that end game is an empty tomb that death could not hold him, that we will all kneel before him, that we, he silenced the sin and the grave. So the question that I have for you today who know the end of the story, have seen the end of the story, are living the end of the story, because we've seen the end game, can we be a witness? Okay? You just heard the story. Do you want to be a witness? And if you are a believer in Christ, you are a witness. Let's pray.